Welcome to Catholic Living, a podcast that seeks to be a user's guide to the Catholic faith, where we boldly ask, what if this stuff is all true? How then should we live? This is brought to you by Ex Corde at Benedictine College in Atchison, Kansas. I'm Tom Hoops. I'm writer-in-residence here at the college, and you can read what I write at alatea.org or excorde.org. Today's episode is called Only the Church Believes What the Love Songs Say. What I want to do is update an article I wrote originally for Catholic Digest years ago, but I think its premise is extremely important. When lovers look into each other's eyes and say, you're my one and only until I die, they say, everything I have is yours, and everything I will have is yours. They say, I want to raise children with you and meet our grandchildren one day. Only the Catholic Church believes what they say. Let me explain. Psychology, for the first part, doesn't believe them. They say it's rash to promise to live forever with somebody until the day you die. Uh, it puts a huge burden on you. The court system certainly doesn't believe them. They'd say, if we're talking about a legal contract here, you're on very shaky ground, right? And Hollywood certainly doesn't believe what they say. They'll say, may every one of your marriages be as dreamy and as committed as this one. Only the Catholic Church believes them and says, not only do we believe that you will love each other until the day you die, but we'll help you. So I'm going to look at pop songs that say these things, and I'm going to try out my crazy theory about Taylor Swift and see what you think at the end. Now, don't get me wrong. I'll name popular songs by people. I'm not saying that all of these songs should be on your playlist. I'll certainly say that some of them should not be on your playlist. I'm not saying I embrace everything that each of these artists has ever done, or I'm not saying that their personal lives are holy Christian examples. So don't take this the wrong way. What I want to do is realize that when our culture expresses its deepest yearnings, regardless of how sinful or messed up the culture is, they basically say things that are true because God placed them there and the Catholic Church recognizes them as true. So to do that, I'm going to be talking about indissolubility, exclusivity, and openness to children. Indissolubility is the Catholic teaching that marriage is till death do us part. Exclusivity is the Catholic Church's insistence that we must be faithful to one person for life. And openness to children is that Catholics believe that every marital act should be open to children. Now, I didn't find any pop songs that say that exactly. So I'll focus on pop songs that give the general attitude of openness to life. And you see these, I mean, you can notice it right away. The top selling love songs of all time, and I looked them up, say exactly these things. So for instance, Lionel Richie and Diana Ross's Endless Love says that love shall last till death do you part. Uh, the Turtles declaration, I can't see me loving nobody but you for all my life, right? And Brian Adams saying that when you can see your unborn children in her eyes, then you know you really love a woman. And I'm tempted to sing these, but you don't want me to sing these. Uh, but it may happen. We'll see. But I also, what I did is I posed these examples and questions to my own children, uh, many of whom are adults and married themselves now. And they gave me some newer versions so that I'm not just referencing songs from the distant past. So first, indissolubility. The church has always taught that marriage is indissoluble, 
right? It comes from Jesus saying in Mark 10, 9, for instance, what God has joined together, let no man put asunder. In other words, love means sticking together despite difficulties. As Al Green puts it, let's stay together. I'm beloving you whether times are good or bad, happy or sad. Love doesn't just last when you're both young and attractive. The ultimate question for every couple who's about to be married is, will you still need me? Will you still feed me when I'm 64? And love means never quitting. As Jason Mraz sings, I won't give up on love. God knows we're worth it. Now, there are certainly situations where there is trauma or abuse, emotional or physical or some real impediment that mean a marriage can't continue, even in the Catholic Church. But in the normal course of things, marriages are meant to continue even despite issues that are sometimes significant. In fact, a lot of pop songs get at this truth by being breakup songs. For instance, Tristan Prettyman's song, Glass Jar, was written to Jason Mraz, who sang to her, I won't give up on love, and then gave up on love. In fact, for me, I think I discovered the importance of real love through breakup songs. And the first was one of my favorites, Mock Me If You Will, my wife certainly does, but I like Phil Collins. I can't help it. I think it stems from the childhood version of me encountering the song Against All Odds on MTV. This funny looking bald man in a suit was wincing in pain as he belted out these lyrics that were strangely compelling. And I just listened to the song again this morning and oh my gosh, they're still very compelling. You're the only one who ever knew me at all, he says, explaining kind of how all married couples feel. He says, how can you just walk away from me when all I can do is watch you leave, right? How bewildering it is to break up a marriage. Then he says, take a look at me now. There's just an empty space. And if that's exactly how I would feel if April ever left me. Later, when I became a Bob Dylan fan, one of my favorites was his album, Blood on the Tracks, with its songs like, you're a big girl now, you're going to make me lonesome when you go, and if you see her, say hello. The album is just aching with this pain of the end of romance. In fact, he once told an interviewer, I don't understand why people like that kind of pain, why they want to listen to that album. Must be tough for his kids to listen to, but we'll move on. In this regard, I love Pink's album, Funhouse. And again, I'm not a huge Pink fan, and I don't recommend that you model your life after her or anything like that. I just mean that in this album, she is talking about a divorce, I gather, and she says she goes through all the stages that somebody goes through when something that important in your life goes away. That includes angry defiance, so what, I'm still a rock star, right, she sings in one song, to extreme vulnerability, I need you, I'm sorry, please don't leave me. That kind of pain comes not because lifelong love is a lie. It comes because lifelong love is absolutely expected of everyone who falls in love. I think this whole phenomenon gives the lie to the myth that when the church insists that marriage lasts forever, the church is being anti-human. I think the opposite is the case. Practically every married couple I've spoken with where this topic has come up can name a time in their marriage when, if not for what the Catholic Church teaches, they would have either gotten divorced or separated or seriously considered it, right? 
and the church's teaching saved them. And years later, they think, oh my gosh, thank God the church's teaching didn't let me act on what I wanted to do then. Because it can seem like marriage is completely unsolvable, unsavable. Uh, but when you recommit to it, you find within yourself and within the cross of Christ, the resources to get through the difficult part and get back to the fulfillment part. In the words of the recent hit song by Train, actually it's not that recent anymore, marry me today and every day, right? I think that's important. You have to recommit and decide to be married every day. So country music is of course, one of the best places to look for songs about marriage and the D word, divorce. I was newly married when the country group Shenandoah had a hit song called, I Want to Be Loved Like That. And the song lists a number of lovers who have been successful and loved for a long time. And the singer sings, I want to be loved like that, a promise you can't take back. And that seemed so true to me to what little kids feel when they say no take backs when they make a promise. And what the church says when you marry, which is no take backs. Randy Travis's song, Forever and Ever, Amen, was a hit back then where he said, as long as old men sit and talk about the weather, as long as old women sit and talk about old men, I'm going to love you forever and ever. Amen. Right. And of course, a more recent song is Lainey Wilson's Things a Man Ought to Know, which is great uh, about all the things she knows that a man ought to know, which are basically practical handyman things until, she says, how to know when it's love, how to stay when it's tough. If you really love a woman, you don't let her go. Well, I know a few things a man ought to know. Last, I asked my kids to give me an updated song uh, to throw on here, and they answered with Justin Bieber's Holy, which for the most part, I didn't see it. Yeah, he said, hold me. It feels so holy, 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 which I kind of raised my eyebrows at. But then there's this excellent part in the middle by Chance the Rapper who sings about God and says, I know I ain't leaving you. I know he ain't leaving us. I know we believe in God, and I know God believes in us. So that's nice, right? Good, good on Justin Bieber and Chance the Rapper. So the next point is exclusivity. Catholic marriages have to be exclusive. That means you have to love and express love only to your spouse and no one else, right? This is a huge deal in other cultures, apparently, where this isn't as, uh, as clearly uh, an ideal as it is uh, for Westerners. It's also a huge deal in the Old Testament where there's a lot of polygamy and God has to show the people in sometimes brutal ways what exclusivity means. He wants them to see that you can't have other gods besides him. And a number of prophets share the same idea. They imagine God as a spouse who has a wife who is adulterous and he nonetheless invites her back, right? A beautiful image of, of love. In Theology of the Body... Catholics talk about exclusivity as mutual self-giving. You give 100% of yourself to your spouse, and your spouse gives 100% of themselves to you. You don't give some of yourself to anyone else ever. Often the best songs about exclusivity are some of the best songs that are available, and those are cheating songs, right? Like Carrie Underwood, when someone cheats on you, you want to take a Louisville slugger to both headlights. Or maybe like the Eagles, you learn the hard way that you can't hide your lion eyes. Or maybe like Garth Brooks, you see the lightning in her eyes and you know that she knows as the thunder rolls. Or maybe like Marvin Gaye, you heard it through the grapevine 
and it just makes you really, really sad. For me, the most powerful song about exclusivity is Night Moves by Bob Seger. This is a early 80s song that I do not want you to put on your playlist, right? It uses veiled language, but it's pretty explicit. But it has always suited my melancholic nature as a song haunted by regret, all right? In it, the singer remembers things that he probably should keep to himself that happened out in the backseat of my 60 Chevy. But it shows what happens when you believe the lie that our society tells about sex. He says, we weren't in love, oh, no, far from it. He says, we weren't searching for some pie-in-the-sky summit. He says, I used her and she used me and neither of us cared. Well, right. That doesn't happen. But at the bridge, the song suddenly turns sad and uses imagery evocative of death and decay. He said, I woke last night to the sound of thunder. How far off I sat and wondered. Started humming a song from 1962. Ain't it funny how the night moves when you don't seem to have as much to lose with autumn closing in. And suddenly you realize that this man has been wounded by this relationship. He wishes that the relationship had lasted, not just for these carefree days in the past, but every day since. As if you need any confirmation of that, almost all of Bob Seger's songs seem to go along that same theme. So I asked my kids, who recently has done this kind of thing? And they had some happily, mostly positive examples of this. Um, John Bellion has this song called Stupid Deep. He realizes that if all the things I've done were just attempts at earning love, yeah, because the hole inside my heart is stupid deep. John Legend gets it right in his song, All of Me. He says, all of me loves all of you, loves your curves and all your edges, all your perfect imperfections. Give your all to me, I'll give my all to you. You're my end and my beginning. Even when I lose, I'm winning because I give you all of me and you give me all of you. So that song is a huge hit, but I like these indie folk pop songs in the movie Juno that kind of have the same message. It's opening song, All I Want Is You, Will You Be My Bride, to a throwback track in the middle, which is actually from Velvet Underground. I'm sticking to you because I'm made out of glue, right? And then at the very end, in the finale of the movie, I don't see what anyone else can see in anyone else but you, right? That's exclusivity. Of course, you have a sad version of this in Taylor Swift's song, 15, where Abigail gave everything she had to a boy who changed his mind, and we both cried. Because when you're 15 and someone tells you they love you, you're going to believe it. And last, I would be remiss if I didn't mention the ultimate statement of how exclusivity is tied down in love. And that's when Beyonce says, if you like it, then you should have put a ring on it. Well, the last one is openness to children. And this is the one I expected to have the least number of pop music songs to mention. Because I think, for the most part, pop music doesn't speak about the sexual act as procreative. But Catholics certainly do, right? So to sum up what the Catholic Church teaches on openness to life, the Church says there's two sides to the marital act. The conjugal act has to be unitive and procreative. So unitive, we just talked about with exclusivity, right? And procreative means open to children. 
In fact, the Catechism says, no one may break the inseparable connection which God has established between these two meanings of the conjugal act by excluding one or the other. So you don't have a sexual act that is just to be unitive, or as Jason Everett likes to point out, you would realize how weird it is if you said, I don't want to love you, I just want to have a baby with you, right? Of course, there are some people who can't have children. Openness to life doesn't mean that you have to have as many children as physically possible. It just means you need to be open to what God is willing to give you, which is another soul for his kingdom. So for the openness to life part, pardon me, but the song that spoke to this most powerfully in my life is from Alanis Morissette's Jagged Little Pill. All right. Now, this is a song I definitely don't recommend. It was famous for introducing the F word into mainstream pop music, and it is definitely explicit, but it's explicit in a painful way. I think of the song as unparalleled critique of the sexual revolution and how it left people like Alanis at least temporarily crippled. So in the song, you ought to know she's angry that a man once told her that he would love her until he died, but... And she fantasizes about pointing this out to him in a restaurant while he's with a new date. You're still alive, and I'm here to remind you of the mess you left when you went away. She's a mess because she has been lied to and betrayed in the most powerful primordial way, by promises of forever love consummated by sex. And she's not about to pretend that the sexually freed man's view of that is normative. But I think the most painful line is where she acknowledges the old-fashioned way of promising forever love consummated by sex. She points sneeringly at the new date and says, I'm sure she'd make a really excellent mother. At the time, the culture was at the height of what Catholics anyway were calling the hookup culture. At the time, Independent Women's Forum uh, released a survey of a thousand women on campus at some of the most elite colleges in the country. 83% of the women called marriage a major life goal, 63% said they'd like to meet their husbands in college, and a surprising number said that they wanted to be mothers. So when Alanis sings this to this sexually liberated man who left her after promising forever love, she probably spoke to a lot of women's anger and pain, and I think that the record sales show that she did. Well, I'm sure it will be no surprise to say that my wife and I, who have nine children, kind of think we got the whole open to life thing down. Could be wrong. Uh, And my children will definitely cringe to know what our first dance at our wedding song was. It was Garth Brooks, two of a kind, working on a full house with the immortal words, so draw the curtains down, honey, turn the lights down low. We'll put some country music on the radio. I'm yours in your mind. Hey, that's what it's all about. We're two of a kind, working on a full house. So according to these songs, first comes love, then comes marriage, then comes baby and a baby carriage. And that's what the church believes too. Most songs fall short of the church's rich understanding, as I said, of uh, unitive and procreative love. For instance, I think it's a stretch when people try to make your body as a wonderland, a song about the theology of the body. I don't see it. But even some unwholesome pop songs share this reality in a sad way, right? In the 1980s, there was Papa Don't Preach by Madonna, 
where she tells her dad, I'm keeping the baby, right? In the 1990s, there was The Freshman, a song by the two-hit wonder Verve Pipe. It was catchy, but it was depressing if you actually listened to it and if you knew that it was about an abortion. He says, now I'm guilt-stricken, sobbing with my head on the floor. We were merely freshmen. We were merely freshmen. Abortion is a whole other topic, though. Maybe we can do a whole episode on that. But I love the way Lin-Manuel Miranda, the writer of Hamilton, who is absolutely pro-abortion in an extreme, scary way, as a matter of fact, can't help but see the truth in the lyrics to his songs in Hamilton, right? Eliza gets pregnant and tells uh, Alexander to come back to New York to meet your son. And later, when he has to dig deep within himself to fight the battle, he finds it by imagining his still unborn son. Got to start a new nation, got to meet my son, right? And later, when he loses his son in a duel, I can't help but thinking that his words apply to how post-abortive women feel uh, when they go through the tragedy of their loss. He sings, if I could spare his life, if I could trade his life for mine, he'd be standing here right now and you would smile and that would be enough. Once again, I relied on my kids to give me some newer songs for this. Uh, and um, I got a couple. These are some actually some surprisingly some really good ones, right? There's Beyond by Leon Bridges. He says, I'm scared to death that she might be it, that the love is real, that the shoe might fit. She might be my everything and beyond, space and time in the afterlife. Will she have my kids? Will she be my wife? Uh, you have the song by James Arthur, Say You Won't Let Go, that everyone likes because he um, uh, takes the drunk girl home and then leaves her alone, right? He says that he's dreaming that one day I'll wake up with you with some breakfast in bed. I'll bring you coffee with a kiss on your head and I'll take the kids to school, wave them goodbye. For him, love means having a child. There's also Perfect by Ed Sheeran. This is the torch song that everybody plays for it to slow dance to. But if you listen to it, in the middle of it, it says, I found a love to carry more than just my secrets, to carry love, to carry children of my own. Right? And there's even a surprising number of relatively recent songs in which the best way that the writer can think of to express I love you a lot is that I want to have a lot of kids with you. Even Taylor Swift in the song Starlight sings about wanting to have 10 kids and teach them how to dream, right? And then I hate to return to Train because I know people hate Train. I like Train. Get over it. <laughs> um, the song by the group Train called When It's Love has the line, we can laugh, we can sing, have 10 kids and give them everything. Then, of course, country music is all over this. And I love that song where the guy says his favorite view is from his front porch looking in at all his children. So indissolubility, exclusivity, and openness to children. Which brings me to my crazy Taylor Swift theory. I know too much about Taylor Swift. I admit it. I have four daughters, right, who are about the same age, the oldest one, as Taylor Swift. So... My daughters grew up with me having to review Taylor Swift lyrics. And then I found out, you know, she's kind of talented. So now, awkwardly, when I give this little Taylor Swift theory in class, I seem to know way more about Taylor Swift than I should and way more about Taylor Swift than my students do. But what I do is I compare Taylor and Adele, all right? 
they both started as young women singing. And so let me just launch into this. When they were both 20, they were very different. Taylor was content. Adele was in turmoil. Taylor Swift's boyfriend made her want to kiss him in the rain. Adele's boyfriend made her want to set fire to the rain. When Taylor Swift's boyfriend left her, he was just another picture to burn. When Adele's boyfriend left her, she was left rolling in the deep with angry tears. Taylor looked at her crush, imagined a perfect love story, and was sure it would all come true. Adele dared her crush to let her be his one and only and helpfully offered her excuses if he wanted to say no. They got a little older and things didn't change much. Taylor went back to December and regretted leaving him. Adele said, don't you remember, and regretted him leaving her. Taylor Swift sang, in joy, I'm only me when I'm with you. Adele sang, in pain, never mind, I'll find someone like you. Taylor listed for her guy all the ways you belong with me. Adele listed for her guy all the ways I won't let you close enough to hurt me. So what do these differences say? They could tell us about their families of origin. Taylor Swift was born in 1989, of course, to parents who remain married to this day. Her early songs were energized by these kind of happy memories of a family life. Adele was born in 1988 to a teenage mother who has, quotes, not forgiven the father who left her as a small child. She writes songs that are haunted by the pain of abandonment. In Adele's songs, joys are always undercut by self-criticism and the expectation of eventual defeat. But as they get older, Taylor's early energy is turning into obsession, from daydreamer who says, if this were a movie, to a nightmare dressed as a daydream in the 1989 album. And Adele's self-doubt is turning to humility. Adele says, hello from the other side. I must have called a thousand times to tell you I'm sorry for everything I've done. Taylor says, look what you made me do. Look what you made me do. Look what you made me do over and over again. Now Adele has a child. I have a purpose now. Before I didn't, she says in an interview. We haven't heard much from her. She says she's a stay-at-home mom now. But she's releasing a 2021 album, which apparently is all about a divorce. We have heard a lot from Taylor, however. First, she owned her bad reputation. Then she wanted to shake it off. First, she was a blank space for your name. Then she forgot that you existed. First, she said the F word on Netflix. And now she seems to want to sing it forevermore as part of her folklore. She used to wish she would never grow up. Now she complains, when you are young, they assume you know nothing. So what does Taylor Swift want? She's tired of being in exile, tired of illicit affairs, tired of champagne problems and not being the one. She's ready to be someone's end game, a lover who keeps the Christmas lights on as long as they want. It sounds like she wants a family. It sounds like she wants what Adele had. It sounds like she still can't imagine a last kiss. It sounds like she still thinks the best day is a day spent between a daughter and a mother, and she wants that. So that's my crazy Taylor Swift theory, that what Taylor Swift really wants is a family. And as she sings over and over again about past relationships, as now she sings about imaginary relationships, what she really wants to find is the one relationship for her, just like her mother and father did. 
So to sum up, I'm not saying that pop music is perfect. I'm not saying that you should go out and buy all these songs. What I am saying, though, is that the human heart can't help but want what the Catholic Church is here to help it get. And that's lifelong love that's for one person and one person only, and that expresses itself ultimately in the next generation. Thanks for listening. I'm Tom Hoops, and this is the Catholic Living Podcast produced by Ex Corde at Benedictine College in Atchison, Kansas. Our mission is to produce media that will transform culture in America through Benedictine's mission of community, faith, and scholarship. Visit us at excorde.org.